Hi, I'm Paul Strinkler and welcome to Tech Interviews. This week we take a look at public cloud and public cloud optimization. So settle back and be ready to be optimized. Enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to Tech Interviews. This week's first in a short series of shows where we take a look at public cloud and how we integrate it into enterprise IT. We're going to look at a range of subjects from cost management to monitoring, but in our first show we're going to take a look at optimization and how we make sure that enterprise workloads are taking advantage of the cloud infrastructure below and how new solutions are helping us to manage and automate this potentially complex task. So to help us discuss that this week, I'm joined by my guest Andrew Hillier. Hi Andrew, how are you? I'm great, how are you Paul? Yeah, really well. Thanks, and um, uh, so so thanks for joining us on on this week's episode. Um, so, well, before we jump into the episode and kind of jump into kind of uh, your experience and, and what it is you do, uh, why don't you take a moment just to kind of introduce yourself to the listeners, uh, tell us a little about who you are and, and what your background is. Sure. Yeah, my name's Andrew Hillier. I'm the CTO and one of the co-founders of a company called Danceify. Um, we focus on analytics to optimize cloud environments. I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about that in a minute. Um, my background, I, I, I've done a lot of development, a lot of very interesting uh, control of trains and nuclear reactors and a lot of uh, uh, different applications. And out of that, I guess over the years, I've really started to focus on analytics and understanding application workload patterns and, and what the apps are doing and how you use that to make them run safely and optimally. And, and so it's, we've kind of seen a progression over the years where uh, uh, you know physical systems and virtual systems and now cloud environments and even containers. Um, and we see the need for, for analytics just increasing and increasing. So I've always had a background in, in kind of the, the, the techie side of things and um, either on the application side or actually analytics to optimize those applications. And, and that's really you know, drives what we do here at Densify. So uh, this is the 71st episode of this show. You are absolutely the first person who's ever worked with nuclear reactors. So, uh, so welcome. Yeah, I, I found that uh, early in my career that there's there's a couple of big motivators for people spending money in IT, and and they're death and money. Um, <laughs> so if something can 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 kill you, you put a lot of effort into doing it right, and if you can make a lot of money off it, you do the same. So I, I've always worked in in, in those areas uh, early in my career. So I, th- I feel there might be a whole bunch of things to explore in another episode there. So, um, <laughs> but um, well, well, let's 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 take a look at uh, kind of start the show by explaining that you know this is kind of been the first in a in a few shows where we we're taking a look at this kind of migration to cloud and the ability to make that that kind of journey and and that experience something that for an enterprise, it, you know, we we can we can deliver that kind of better experience. But you know, I'm I'm talking here about delivering a better experience. So, um, but why why do people want to do that? You know. What's the, um, before we talk a little bit more about kind of what Densify do and, and kind of where that analytics background is, I mean, what, what's the problem behind kind of what you guys do? You know, what is it you've seen in the market? What, what are the challenges that you see kind of in terms of, of cloud adoption and, and getting the best out of, uh, of the workloads that, that we move into those environments? Well, I, I think we've seen and we've all seen a, a kind of a general progression towards cloud. It, it, it didn't happen overnight. I mean, we've, we've seen, we've been attending cloud trade shows for by over a decade. Um, but it's really starting to become mainstream. I think as, as people become comfortable with it, um, they you know they can take their precious applications and trust them in the cloud. And as you start to see more and more big companies do that, it kind of opened the floodgates. So so maybe maybe you know two or three years ago, at least here in North America, we started to see um, people going from doubting it to kind of saying, okay, we're going to do it. Um, but I think the challenge is that, that there's different reasons for doing it, and people get that a bit wrong. So a lot of people think it's going to be cheap and it may be or it may not be. It, it's, it's, the real benefit is agility because you can spin uh, workloads up and down and, and resources up and down much more dynamically. 
Um, and that's a huge benefit. But if you it, one of the really powers of the cloud from the efficiency perspective is that you can turn things off when you're not using them or you can not pay for resources that you don't need as opposed to having a data center full of servers. Um, but that's where it becomes tricky to kind of leverage that. Uh, uh, if people don't do that properly, then it ends up being a lot more expensive than they thought it was going to be. So we see the general perception that we're going to move to the cloud. It's going to save us money. And in the end, they get this massive bill uh, and, and it's a bit of a shock. And, and I don't think, you know, in the end, the cloud it may still be a great way to go. Um, but it's just kind of this interesting journey to get there where there's some some shock factors along the way that the people need to deal with. Yeah, and I think you make a, you know, that's, that's a really interesting point there because you know I think that is one of the things that kind of kind of we're sold on when we talk about kind of utilizing cloud services. You know, we this, this idea that I just pay for it as I need it. But I suppose as you've alluded to there, that's an awful lot more complex than than people might think. You know, and is, is that the experience? This idea of just turning things on and off and you know scaling up and scaling down as you need it is actually a lot more complicated than than we might first believe. Yeah, I think you know people see you know an instance in a cloud provider being twelve cents an hour, and that sounds like it's almost free. Now, if you multiply that by a thousand instances, by twenty-four, by three sixty-five, that can actually add up to a lot more than 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 you thought it would. So um, it, it is very complicated, and and you know we view everything from the the angle that like uh, what's the workload doing, what is the workload pattern, and 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 that drives a lot of the decisions. So just as an example, um, if I have a batch job that I I need, it's going to run for four hours overnight. Um, you know, I, I push some data into the cloud, I run that, it runs 100% for four hours, and then I turn it off again. So I might pay 50 cents for that resource, and that might be a lot cheaper than me having a server on-prem to run that workload for those four hours. So that's kind of one end of the spectrum. Um, the other end might be I have a transactional app that gets really busy at 9.30 in the morning, and then doesn't do much after that, and then maybe gets busy at lunchtime for a bit. Um, if I put that in a cloud, uh, that can be very expensive, because I might need to buy a big instance to run that. And I'm paying for that, that those resources, whether I'm using them or not. So that's an example of a workload pattern that might be ill-suited to go into the cloud, or at least to put in a standard you know, EC2 uh, instance, for example. So there's, there's, there might be a different way to run that in the cloud, which is much more efficient. So I think that's where it starts to get complicated. We use the phrase workload personality. And certain personalities are suited for certain hosting models. And so just shoveling everything in the cloud in a one-size-fits-all hosting model um, doesn't necessarily uh, work in many cases. Maybe you need to use scale groups or, or Lambda functions or containers um, to really get that efficiency. So I think you can do, there's so many options in the cloud, you can get that right answer, but it takes a little bit of thinking, uh, or in our case, analytics, to, to understand what you should do. Yeah, I mean, I, and I've been speaking with a, with a few people recently, actually, where where that kind of you, you touched on this before about the idea of uh, one of the reasons you might move to cloud. You perhaps don't move to cloud for cost, although you know it should, it should the commercials have to play a part. But it's some of that stuff around kind of agility, and and I think often what will happen is that we don't grasp that, you know. And, and I say I've spoken to a couple of people recently where their experience has been that. You know, they've worked with somebody who said, right, well, let's go move all this to AWS, for example. And actually that move is let me pick up what you've got on-prem and shove that in AWS. And then suddenly we find that we're not really taking advantage of AWS commercially. It's not really working. It's far too expensive. The the uh, the, the, the kind of the experience that we're getting is not good. It's not performance. You know, it's, it's all those kind of things. And I mean, is, is that is that, again, something that you see that, that people are actually making these moves, don't really understand what they're moving to, and then they've got no idea really how to kind of re-architect or, or get the best out of what they're doing 
Yeah, I think that definitely happens. So, so again, there's a big difference between a, a monolithic legacy app and a cloud native app in the way that they're written. And, you know, the cloud, again, you can buy almost any kind of resource in the cloud. So you, you can buy anything you want, but most people use the standard services that, you know, for example, they're not designed to have the same level of resiliency as an on-prem VMware environment. There's no, you know, in a VMware environment, HA will restart a VM if it stops and, and you know, if an ESX server dies, it takes care of that. You don't get that in the cloud. So you have to write your app to be more resilient. So when you take an app that's not written to be resilient and you push it up there, you might have to do more to make it run. And like you mentioned, there might be, might be higher risk. So that you know, that's one factor that the workload pattern is a factor. If I write an app natively for the cloud, um, I would write it differently so that it would scale out horizontally in a very different way. And then it does become very cost effective because when it's not busy, it's doing nothing and there's no resources uh, assigned to it. So absolutely, when people migrate, they, they, they kind of push things up and they may, it might make sense if it's an interim step to then make it, uh, rewrite the app. We see some customers that are kind of pushing things in and then they're going to modernize those apps. Or it might make a lot of sense if it lets you exit a data center because data centers are pretty expensive. So maybe if I can just get it out of there, there's there's a financial model that makes that make sense. But ultimately, I think when people in the cloud would aim to go is to, to kind of re-architect or modernize their apps so that they they are running, they're more suited to the cloud operational model. So you know, in our customers, we see a mix of some kind of that, that lift and shift migration, which is trying to do it as intelligently as possible, or reconstituting apps to run in the cloud um, in the first place. And, and, and so, you know, we don't necessarily see everybody taking their complete set of workloads and moving them all to the cloud. It, a lot of times there's kind of a parallel effort to move some and, and as you modernize the apps, they, 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 they run the cloud. Um, so again, it's not really necessarily a big lift and shift in all cases. There's kind of multiple entry points into the cloud. Yeah. And, and so that's a, it's, it's an interesting, it's kind of an interesting area. And I think this, um, you know, what, what intrigued me about kind of what you guys do, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk a, a little while in a bit more detail about kind of the approach that you've taken to this. Um, but this idea that actually once I've moved these workloads into a cloud platform of some description, that actually getting insight into how that's operating and how I get the best out of it, you know, and optimize both its performance and, and its cost impact and uh, and kind of the experience that it gives me, that that seems quite difficult. And you know, so I mean, what are you seeing at the moment in the market? You know, how are, how are people dealing with that problem at the moment? You know, how are people dealing with kind of optimizing their their cloud experience, or, or actually are they not? Are they just kind of once they've moved it there, is a big sigh of relief going, I've managed to get it into AWS. Now let it just keep running and I'll worry about the bill later? Um, or, or are people looking at ways of how do I optimize this, some kind of manual intervention or uh, something along those lines? So, so it's, it's a great question because it, there's there's kind of, we view it almost as generations. There was, there was kind of a first generation cloud cloud management, cloud optimization, and we consider ourselves second generation. So, and, and let me describe what I mean by that. So the typical story we see is that stuff runs in the cloud. Um, you get a, a bill or two bills and somebody freaks out because it's three times higher than you thought it would be. That's kind of a, a standard pattern. Everybody uh, kind of goes through that. So the knee-jerk reaction is to go out and look for something that will make sense of the bill because the cloud bills are very complicated as well. There's thousands of line items. Every compute instance, every bit of IO, every bit of storage has a line in your bill. And so it's almost like the early days of you know telephone you know companies where the, there's companies that's, that's spread up to help you make sense of your bill. And, and we saw that happen in the cloud where the knee-jerk reaction is to get a bill reader, as we call them, and, and one of these kind of first-generation tools that will help make sense of your spend and help you figure out what groups are spending what and, and maybe do a little bit of optimization, but only really simple stuff, like maybe turn things off that aren't being used. 
Um, and I think that's carried the industry for a little while, those kind of those types of tools. But they, they don't really solve the source of the problem. They're solving a symptom of the problem. Um, the symptom is the bill. The real cause of the problem is that people are buying the wrong stuff in the cloud, as I mentioned earlier. So you're running your workloads on compute-optimized instances. They should be running on IO-optimized or burstable or spot or something else. So, so there's what you're buying and how you're buying it are, are, are kind of things under your control that are they're kind of new to most people. So um, if you're doing it wrong, you get a high bill. And then if you buy something to read the bill, it's kind of like a Band-Aid or unless you understand your problem, um, but it doesn't really fix the problem. So we, we, we consider ourselves to be you know, kind of next generation or second generation in that area where we do deep workload pattern analysis to understand what the workloads are actually doing and very precisely map them to the what you can buy from the provider and how you can buy it. Um, and that drives down the bill considerably. And, and, and you know, th that's that's kind of, that's one effect we see, but but just to be clear, we financial optimization is one outcome. What we really tend to focus on is, is automation because we see this as an automation challenge. So the problem is people are manually figuring out what to buy and it's wrong. And what we do is automate that process. So when we analyze supply and demand, we will automate the 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 alignment of the workloads to what they should be running on in the cloud. So so again, it's it's almost like there's a cost problem, and and buying a bill reader is a symptom. Um, the next generation of optimization, in our view, is to go after the root cause of that and do the uh, workload analysis. But again, it's it's it, automation is a key. Um, goal in that process. And once you have that automation, then your costs will in turn go down. Uh, but again, the focus should be automating how that decision is made and not leaving it up to humans who will do it infrequently and will do it wrong. So that's really interesting because, you know, and I've certainly come across and had experience of where people have made, you know, have taken a, an on-prem application of some description and said, yeah, actually what our strategic goal for that application is, let's go and run that in Azure, AWS, you know, let's, let's go and run it in a public cloud because we think there is some agility benefit from that. And I think you're, you're right in that often that's not looked at at cost. It's actually looked at what does that allow us to do? What flexibility does that give us that our business desires that, that we don't have right now? But the challenge then becomes that it's about finding somebody who knows how to do that, because as, I think as you've kind of talked about there, it's, you know, these platforms are actually quite complex and there's lots and lots of ways of delivering your application, your service, your data, um, your data analytics. There's lots of ways of delivering that in lots of different kind of kind of ways. And it's everything from spinning up some VMs to things like Lambda functions, as you, as you touched on before. So, but from actually from what you're saying there, so is, is this, is what you guys are bringing to the market here, the ability to, fully automate that process so that I can maybe shift the workload into, you know, let's pick on AWS again, shift the workload into AWS. You can then look at that workload and decide that, do you know what, the way you've shifted that in, this is not optimal. This is not the best way either commit, you know, it's not the best way for you from a billing point of view, and it's not the best way from a technology point of view. Is, is that kind of what you're bringing, bringing to the, the, the market with the solutions you've got? Yep, that's that's absolutely that that's a that's a big part of it. So and not just for migrated apps, but also just stuff that's written new and put in you know deployed in the cloud, it too can be wrong. And and, and the problem there is that um, when you when you start an application in the cloud, a lot of times you use what they call infrastructure as code. So you'll have a template like a, a Terraform or a CloudFormation template that turns on all the components of the apps and it says what resources to give them. But the problem is that the people writing those files don't necessarily know what resources those apps need. They might be in a development team. So you can now describe your whole app, you know, as in a file of how to turn it on. 
Um, but there's a disconnect between doing that and understanding what should be in that file. So it's not just migrated apps. It's actually brand new apps that you're written from scratch and, and you, you're running in the cloud. We find the same problem across both is that when you start them up, okay, now I've given them these default instance types, you know, memory optimized, CPU optimized. And when you see them running, um, that's not correct. So that's exactly what we focus on is let's learn the patterns of activity of the workloads, normalize them to benchmarks. So we know how much raw horsepower they need. You know, a percent of a CPU is different on different CPUs. So um, intrinsically, we normalize to benchmarks to say, okay, this is the, the actual uh, resources this thing needs in a normalized model. And then I can look at the entire offering of what the cloud provider provides and say, okay, here's the perfect one. And we had an example where we had a customer, a pretty big company, um, where we analyzed them and then we were recommending that they move a bunch of their workloads onto what's called an I3 in Amazon. It's an IO optimized image. It's for workloads that maybe don't have a, a, aren't really computer or memory intensive, but do a lot of IO. So all these recommendations came out of the analytics. The customer had never even heard of that type of instance. Um, you know, these, the, the catalog offerings are so complex. There's so many different types of things out there that, that, you know, again, it's impossible to do this manually. So we know all of the supply side, all the different things that you can buy. We know the exact demand patterns and to precisely link them up is, is, is exactly what we do. And, and, and it's not just for migrated apps a lot of times and, and probably even more. So it's for apps that have been written in the cloud and deployed, but still they don't know what resources it needs. So you use machine learning to understand that. And then you make, you make the app basically what we call self-optimizing, uh, which is kind of a, a, another topic, but taking the app and not only understanding what it should be, and we use the phrase self-aware, make the app self-aware of what its resource requirements are, and then let it optimize itself based on the machine learning. And that's where we really see the holy grail, the, the automation. Um, you, you, you get the awareness and the understanding, the precision, and it just happens rather than humans having to manually do this uh, again and again. So, so it's not um, you're not quite there yet, or is is that something you can already do? Because that that idea of of understanding the workload, because uh, you were saying in there that in the example that you you kind of understand the workload, and you will advise then to that end user to say actually this is you know or the system will say this is what you should be doing with this you know you should be taking advantage of this type of AWS resource in this case. But but do you do you currently have the capability to take that and say? actually, I'm going to now transform that application. I'm going to automate that transformation into this particular service. Or is it, is, is that kind of roadmap? That's, that's somewhere you'd like to be. No, that's, that's there. So it's interestingly because, because we're just on the verge of a release. That's a, that's a huge step forward in that. So we, we, we do do that in a lot of customers. And, and the, the, the interesting thing is that, um, the, the interesting is really a difference between a legacy virtual environment and a cloud environment. So again, in a legacy virtual environment, you would, you would call APIs, to change the things and do that automatically. And a lot of our customers do that. So it is fully automated. And maybe there's a service now approval required or JIRA. You can kind of tie it into a, a kind of a service management workflow, but ultimately it just happens automatically. Now, the key is in the cloud, again, um, if people say, well, do you just have an easy button that you push that will just go and change the, the, the instance? And the key there is that that won't work because the, the whole app is being stood up from this template I mentioned. And so if you go and change a running component of an app, it'll just go back to whatever the template says the next time you apply the template. So it's almost like there's these, the newer infrastructure is code. These, these products like Terraform are very powerful and they will constantly make sure what's running in the cloud matches your manifest. So you can't go and manually or, or automatically tweak the thing running in the cloud. You have to change that manifest. And, and that's our big focus. And that's, that's, that's what's basically our latest, our latest uh, uh, capability is um, you can embed a single line of code in that manifest that references our machine learning that makes that happen in the application.
So again, rather just to reiterate that, rather than going and, and targeting an instance in the cloud and, and changing it through an API call, you go upstream into almost into the code database, almost into the GitHub and say, that file that's defining your app, include a line of code in it. And when the thing runs, it'll get its optimized answer from Densify. So it's kind of like a completely next generation automation. That's part of that uh, CI/CD tool chain. It, it, it's as you deploy your apps, they are continuously optimized automatically. And so that's key here is it's fundamentally different than in legacy environments. And we do uh, we do both uh, the latest latest stuff. We're just about to do a very exciting release on the latest stuff uh, uh, on the self optimizing um, that really kind of ties it right into the DevOps tool chain. Yeah, so I mean, you, you kind of touched at the kind of traditional approach, and and maybe a little bit about what you what you kind of do on prem. I mean, did you, did you guys have the um, you know, because one of the I suppose one of those big challenges is is looking at what you've got on prem and thinking, yeah, I'd like to move this to a cloud provider. You know, what what what's the best route to take? Um, I mean, is that something you can help with as well? You know, do you have technology there that can look at? Um, what's running on-prem currently with a, with an application and say, yeah, actually, if you're going to move this to AWS or, or somewhere else, this is the kind of thing that you want to be looking at doing. This is this is how the architects, or even, you know, I don't know, again, whether you've got the roadmap, the ability to almost to make that move for them. I, I don't know how far you kind of go with that kind of thing. So so we, we do we do, do that analysis. Um, so if you look at a lot of our bigger customers, we, we hit all of their virtual environments and all their cloud environments. And, you know, one recently use that to analyze one of their data centers and move out of it into Amazon. Um, so we absolutely do the, the kind of what if analysis and the migration in between. Um, we focus on that as kind of part of our steady state. So we, we, we tend to focus on deploying the analytics to do to analyze everything continuously and optimize. And then the transform is usually a kind of a side use case where, okay, now I've got the data on everything. I want to, what if I put that there? Or what if I move that to a different cloud? Or what if I move that into containers? So it's kind of an adjunct to our steady state uh, optimization. We don't tend to do a lot of just standalone assessments hmm. where just use us for a month and get that answer. Um, but we do we do support that use case, but as part of the broader ongoing use case. So um, there are some very powerful capabilities in there. You know, we can say you're in the cloud. What do you look like on-prem? Uh, that VMware cluster, if I move all those workloads into the cloud, which ones can go and how much will they cost? So there's a lot of rich functionality there. Um, we don't actually move the workload. There's a, that's kind of a different tool set. And even you know, vendors like Amazon have tools that will kind of convert the disk image and move it up. Um, we find that that's kind of a different, that kind of implementation. You know, a lot of our partners, we have big partnerships with companies like IBM, and they do a lot of that work. Because um, a lot of times, again, there's not just an easy button to do that. But we focus on giving you the exact right spec of what that's going to need in the cloud and, and as an indirect result that, you know, should it be in the cloud or which provider should it go in? And that's kind of the, the, the main questions that we answer. So, you know, it's interesting you've just phrased easy button a couple of times because I think, you know, we, we, we kind of started out uh, this conversation looking at the complexity of doing this, you know, that actually these cloud platforms, they, on a surface level, look really straightforward. You know, I, I whiz in with my credit card into the marketplace, I type in my details and I create myself some machines and away I go. But the reality is that actually understanding the underlying architecture is quite complicated and to build an entire infrastructure in there for you to run in an enterprise actually requires quite a lot of skill set but but what's really interesting about what you're saying here is that this sounds very much like i'm applying i'm applying a level of intelligence above this that will demystify some of these complexities for you and allow you to deploy kind of the most optimized way for for your enterprise you know not not looking at some kind of template but saying for what you do this is the the, the best way of us, us doing that uh, and 
I mean, it, it, is that accurate? And, and kind of if it is, how, how do you as Densify go about doing that? You know, what, what kind of, if somebody's listening to this and saying, I love the idea of this, this sounds really interesting, a bit like I'm sat here thinking this, um, you know, but uh, this sounds really interesting. What, how, how, does, how does Densify deliver that? You know, what, what kind of things do you put in place? How, how do you interact with those, eight, uh, with those kind of cloud workloads to, to start to do this optimization work? Well, I think it's a good question. I think there's a couple of key things here. That one of our view, our thesis is that, you know, not everyone out there has to be an expert in all the minute details of Amazon. Like a lot of, a lot of our customers look at them and saying, you're better served if you spend your time understanding your apps and your business, because you can spend 100% of your time reading news and blogs just to keep up with what Amazon's doing or all the new services. If you go to reInvent, they'll announce 100 things a day. So one of the things we do is say, let us worry about that. You worry about your application workloads and the policies of how you want them to run. Um, we, we stay on top of, of the providers and what they provide and automatically link them together. So rather than, because there is such minute detail. When, you, when we say, you know, this thing running in Amazon is on an, uh, an M4, it should be on a T2 medium. Um, you know, that kind of change, you might lose ephemeral storage. You might cross a VPC boundary or a pair of virtualization type or enhanced network adapter or EBS optimizers. There's so many little technical details in there that you can become paralyzed. And you say, well, I'm scared to touch that because if I move it to this other thing, there's there is a lot of technical detail. So what we do is take care of that detail. We codify that in our analytics. So our analytics understands that and says, it actually gives you a ranking saying, you should do this and it's very easy to do because you're not going to lose storage and that's not going to change. That's actually in our rule sets. So when we recommend a change, we also give an effort ranking saying, that's a drop kick. This other one, it's kind of complicated. You should look at it, but you'll save a ton of money. So you can kind of rank in our in our in our analytics. You know, what's the low hanging fruit? What's the more complicated stuff? Because that's the kind of detail that that we don't we don't think if you look at this entire industry, if everybody running in every company tries to keep up with that, it's a huge waste of resources on a on a global human scale. <laughs> um, that can be captured and done via software, and people can focus on their unique businesses. And unique attributes of their of their applications. So, so you know that's one part of your, your question is, is is in the analytics we embed the the kind of that knowledge so that you don't really need to kind of constantly and exhaustively keep up with it. The other big part is that intrinsic to our service as we deliver it, it's a SaaS service. It's analytics delivered SaaS that comes with an advisor. We call them identification advisor. So that automatically comes with it when you sign up, and it's a real human. And what they do is they 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 work with multiple customers and they kind of curate and prioritize what you're seeing. So um, they understand how the analytics work. So, so we have some customers that you don't have to read a manual, first of all. You just sign up and you start using it. And you don't really even have to understand how it works. You can just say to your advisor, look, those two workloads, one of them's, uh, it's an active passive cluster. So one of them's going to be idle. And we'll, and we'll say, say no more. And we'll, we'll, we'll configure the policy to make sure that they are taken care of. Or that's a failover site, or that's a, you know whatever whatever the requirements are. That's a production workload that needs to be you know coddled. So we have a, an advisor that helps tune and also interpret the results. Um, and I, we, we, that's actually a huge a huge thing uh, uh, because it means that when you sign up, it takes about fifteen minutes to get up and running, and then you're actually getting actionable results. Uh, you don't need to go and read a manual. You know you don't have a seven hundred page manual. Nobody has time for that anymore. So. So, I mean, it's a great question you ask, and I think we, we address that in two ways. One is via the analytics being uh, precise and exhaustive in what they look at, and one is there being a human involved, that means you don't have to learn anything if you don't want to. If you want to, you can. If you don't want to, just they almost become like a part of your team, like a, a partial FTE on your team. 
Oh, and I think that is, um, you know, and I, I didn't appreciate that. And I, I think I was obviously before we spoke, I was kind of, a, you know, a little bit of research on what you guys did and, and why, you know, and, and why it intrigued me so much about kind of the approach that you take. And I, I'd not, not really realized about that kind of human involvement, because I think one of the challenges that we often see when we talk to uh, somebody making, you know, IT strategic decisions is that you can come along with the best technology in the world, but the answer can often be, yeah, that's great, but my guys are maxed out already doing all kinds of things. Who's going to look at this? additional mm -hmm. information i can see all the value but who's going to come to me with this additional information who's going to make sense of that for me so kind of from what you're saying there that actually you not only provide the analytics but you provide the and i, and I like the idea of the real human um, as opposed to a pretend human um, but you take <laughs> a you kind of a real human looks at that and kind of demystifies the whole thing for you and says there are five things you want to go and concentrate on right now you know is, is, is that did i understand that right is that kind of what you guys do yeah, yeah, and, and you put it well. What we, what, what we see again and again is that people are maxed out, like you said. They may they might look at. You know, we learn this through working with a lot of big companies that they really just want the outcomes. They don't don't they don't want another tool. They don't want something that's going to increase their load. They're already doing more with less. So that's exactly why we designed that way. Is that if you take this on, you will have to do nothing more. In fact, you might even get to do less because it's going to make your life better not worse. So the analytics are doing all the heavy lifting The you know, the, the people aren't sitting there with spreadsheets and doing computations. They are just helping interpret and also kind of cross pollinating saying, you know, I looked at your environment and other customers, um, they use a higher memory threshold than you are. You're kind of conservative there. You might want to, you know, relax that a bit, or you might want to consider doing things this way. So it's really kind of that cross pollination. But the, the key point is that, um, they don't make your life harder. Like you're not, you're not. Nobody has time to bring on anything else. I think that's you know, nobody has time to watch a one hour or listen to a one hour podcast either. Everybody's busy, so things have to be done more efficiently, and uh, and that includes you know in the in the software space. We see a big shift you know towards SaaS, but SaaS doesn't quite get you there because you still have to learn Salesforce. You have to learn how to use it. We go to that next level and say we call it SaaS Plus. You don't even have to learn this. You're not even going to get a manual. Just you're just going to focus on your outcomes, and, and we'll take care of it. Well, I, I, I mean, I think it's been a really fascinating conversation, and um, you know, and I, and I think what you guys are doing is is really interesting. You know, and, and I started this out by saying it's kind of been the first in a few shows that we're kind of going to be looking at this topic around how to get the very best out of that that kind of cloud migration. And and I think lots of the things that you've covered have been really interesting there, including the bit you just mentioned at the end. Nobody's got a time for a one-hour podcast. So um, <laughs> so with that in mind, um, you know, I, and 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 actually, genuinely, I, I probably could do another another hour around this. I think it's really interesting and it's a very interesting approach and that kind of delivering an easy button to cloud migration almost um, is really fascinating and I think increasingly that's becoming a demand from enterprises that yeah I want to be able to do all these things but I won't be able to do these things if somebody doesn't simplify some of this for me you know I can't I can't afford to spend time and tight resources learning a whole bunch of new kind of complex infrastructures so I mean if people have listened to this and found this as fascinating as, as I genuinely have um, I mean what's a good way that they can find out a little bit more about Densify kind of what it is you guys do um, if they want to find out a little bit more about how you operate and and, and, and a bit more detail about kind of the platform uh, what's a good way to go and do that well I guess like like you know, like everyone our website is a good starting point densify.com there's a lot of great resources there um, there are videos that that show it in action there's blogs um, there you know for some of the newer stuff our, our dense at densify is our, our Twitter handle so um, there's kind of a stream of, of new and interesting things coming out on that. Um, our Instagram is densify underscore cloud. If you want to see some what we look like and what our what our 
summer barbecue party looks like. <laughs> that's on there. Um, that, and the other thing that's I think quite important to mention is is you can just try it out because we've refined it now to be so simple to try that you can just go on uh, and sign up and you'll get an instance. You'll actually get an advisor too. Um, it takes about 15 minutes. You you know maybe give it some CloudWatch credentials or you know resource manager or, or stack driver, um, and it will plug in and get the data and start giving you answers. So it's extremely easy just to try it out and see what it says. And we, and we encourage people to do that because, I mean, that's really the best. If you see it, everybody's unique. Everybody's workloads and applications are unique. And to see your actual workload patterns and what it's saying, and a lot of times it's, you know, it says some things that are kind of surprising, um, we find that's a great way to go. So that, that's kind of almost you know, the number one way you can, you can kind of educate yourself more or just see what it says. And that's very easy to do. Well, Andrew, I think that's been a um, you know fantastically insightful and, and a hugely interesting topic, um, and I'm I'm going to really be keeping an eye on kind of how Densify progress and and kind of what you guys do because I think it is uh, you know it's, it's it's a really interesting approach to you know what what is without doubt a very difficult problem and and quite a challenge for for organisations who are very much starting to make this kind of shift to increasing use of uh, of kind of cloud service within their enterprise. So, Andrew, I really appreciate your time. Uh, Thanks for sharing that insight uh, into kind of yourself and what what Densify do. And um, so, you know, uh, uh, well, thanks for joining us and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe? You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. So until next time, thanks for listening.